Good morning. How's everyone doing today? I'm excited to be here. How about you? All right. Uh, we're in this series uh, at Mosaic. We like to go through books of the Bible, and we're going through the book of the Song of Solomon. It's a part of the wisdom literature in the Old Testament, and we are in week four of that series. Uh, the Song of Solomon is God's provision to sustain loving marriages and renew loveless ones. And why was the Song of Solomon written? It's a song, it's a musical, it's meant to be sung about human love written to give us wisdom. It's written to give us wisdom, helping us to know how to live rightly, especially when it comes to relationships, when it comes to passion, sex, marriage. Uh, and it's been great walking through uh, this book of the Song of Solomon the last couple of weeks. So I just want to spend a couple minutes just kind of recapping the last three weeks. If you're just joining us today, this is kind of like the part of a TV show. It's like previously at Mosaic Church. Here's what happened. We learned uh, week one that desire is not demonic, it's actually divine. That this desire in our hearts to have passion, to be intimate, that's not a bad thing, that's a good thing. It's from God. But God always gives boundaries before he gives the blessing. Every time in our life before he gives a blessing, he's going to put a boundary in place. And sex is one of those things. It's a blessing, but it's meant to be in the boundaries of a covenant relationship so you can be totally and completely free and trusting with the person that you are being intimate with. We learned that sometimes the church has done a poor job by just, instead of uh, encouraging passion or patience and then passion, we just take a bucket of cold water and we dump it on that and then people get filled with shame. We said that shame is not the solution. Shame is often part of the problem, but we learned that shame is not the solution. And then whatever season of life we find ourselves in, whether we're single or married or single again after being married, which a number of people at Mosaic have gone through that transition, that there's always a season of preparation always precedes finding your purpose. And so whatever season of life you are in, uh, whatever you're going through, if it feels like you're in the season of winter and you're waiting for spring to come, you're waiting for new life, that is necessary. That there's a season of preparation that precedes your purpose. We learned that purity paves the way to intimacy. Uh, whether that's you're single and learning how can I be pure in our relationships or in your marriage, that things like pornography, uh, debt, there's different things that can come in and can ruin your relationships. And we talk about those things are foxes, how the foxes can come into our relationships and they dig up the roots of the vineyards. And so uh, the Song of Solomon tells us to catch the foxes. Don't let the foxes destroy the roots of our lives and our relationships. We learned last week that almost everything our culture is saying today about sex is not only dangerous, it's destructive. Uh, our culture usually says that either sex is nothing, it's just a, a simple biological thing that we do, and it doesn't really mean anything, or sex is God, that it's, it's the most important thing. We say that's both dangerous and destructive. And we learn that passion is important, but approach matters too. We talked, guys, as we approach our wives, that how we do that is really important, that matters. Last week we also learned that we have all these different needs. We have emotional needs. We have spiritual needs. And the reality is we have lots of different ways we can meet our emotional needs. We can have coffee with a friend, a good board game, go up to the Boundary Waters. Lots of ways we can actually meet our spiritual needs. We can go to a different church service. We can have a Bible study, listen to a KTIS music, whatever it might be. But if you are married, you are your spouse's only legitimate outlet to meet their sexual needs. And so we want to take that responsibility very seriously. And then we learned finally that sex is a blessing from God, but it's also a bridge to God. That ultimately, when we engage in sex, 
that it leaves us desiring something more. It leaves us desiring a deeper connection. And that is on purpose. That, that, that desire for that, that deeper intimacy is, can only be fulfilled by God. And so sex is a blessing, but it's also a bridge to God. It's to remind us that we are created to have a relationship with our creator. And that he designed us, and so we want to follow his plan for our lives, for our relationships, for how we live. And so uh, today, as we continue on this series, uh, I'm really pumped about this. And we're going to see our two lovebirds, who uh, last week we saw they got married and had their wedding night. We're actually going to see them get into a fight. They're going to kind of step into the ring and put their boxing gloves on and get in a big fight. I don't care who you are, uh, where, you know, how great your romance is right now in your relationship. At some point in your relationship, you will get into a fight. At some point, you're going to face conflict. Uh, can I get an amen? amen? Amen. If you are alive, you have experienced conflict. Thank you so much. I appreciate that, Justin. Give Justin a hand. Thank you, sir. All right. So you will get into fights. I know... You're not going to believe this, because I know you just think your pastor is perfect, but no, I'm not. And uh, even Kristen and I have gotten into a fight, I think once or twice uh, yesterday. Um, <laughs> we've gotten into fights. Is Kristen in the room? I don't know if she is today. Oh, over there. Okay, over there. Good. Uh, and so, you know, what, what, what happens oftentimes in relationships is you have these things that kind of trigger fights. And for us, ever since our honeymoon, it's been driving. I typically do the driving. And Kristen is usually my navigator. And something about that situation just makes us, like, blow up at each other. It is not good. It is not healthy. And so for the longest time, even on our honeymoon, I'm like, God, tell me when to turn. Give me more of an advance, you know. And she's like, I'm doing the best I can. And then I thought, perfect. This is going to solve all our marital problems is that when I got an iPhone. Because then I have directions. But somehow Kristen thinks, like, I'm kind of like cheating on her when I want to talk to Siri and get directions instead of her. And so, you know, I'm like, no, I just want to listen to her. No, I'm going to tell you how to go. And, and, and sadly, Siri has not solved all our marital problems. We still have issues with directions. Uh, but we're working on that. What's silly is that, again, sometimes our most dramatic fights come about because of the silliest little things. Having directions. You know, go, figure out where you're going to go. Or figuring out where you parked, which I got lost on our honeymoon, and it was awful. You can hear about it some other time. But what I want to talk today is how do you reconcile our differences? What do you do when you get into these conflicts? How do you get into fights? Because we're all going to experience that. Whether you're single or married or not, you're going to have conflict in your relationship. So how do we learn how to fight fair? So the bottom line is that we all are going to fight. But healthy couples are going to fight clean. Unhealthy couples fight dirty. Healthy couples are going to work towards resolution. Unhealthy couples fight for victory. I want to win this fight. See, the problem is, if one of us wins that fight, then we both lose. We talked about the Song of Solomon. It's a musical. And last week, the curtain closed on their wedding night, and then it was basically intermission. We saw kind of the early dating relationship, engagement, marriage, wedding night, curtain closes, intermission. Now we're coming back. The curtain opens up. And we can picture in our minds, like on stage, it says, sometime later. And so this is, this is life after the honeymoon. We're going to see today, though, that marriage is worth some conflict. Marriage is worth some conflict. I know today people are like, is marriage even worth it? Yes, marriage is worth conflict. 
Just because so many marriages end in divorce doesn't mean we should give up on the idea of marriage. Marriage is worth some conflict. So now our, our couple are married, and maybe this is some years down the road. And they had scheduled a time for intimacy, to be together. And there is nothing wrong with scheduling sex on your calendar, okay? Uh, that might be your best application point from today. If you are married and you are finding it hard to, you know, we talked about this actually in my small group, like send a calendar request. It's okay. You can do that. <laughs> True story. It's, it helps. So they sent the calendar request, accept, yes, score. So they got this, they're going to come home from work and they're going to be together, right? So when they're going to be together. And so our leading lady, the star of our musical, we've talked, she has uh, over half the lines in the musical. She gets home from work. She takes a nice hot bath slips into some lingerie, and then she waits for her man to come home. She's got the candles lit, everything's ready. So she's waiting, because they have this time. They're going to come together after work and be intimate. And she's waiting, and she's waiting, and she's waiting. Hours pass. Finally, she just gives up. She blows out the candles, takes off the nice lingerie, puts on the oversized flannel PJs that every wife has, (laughs) locks up the house, and goes to sleep. Meanwhile, her husband doesn't know that plans have changed. He got invited to go out with some friends, you know, catch money at football. And so he's like, yeah, I'll do this. And yeah, sure, he's a few hours later than normal, but he's ready for their rendezvous. So he gets home, you know, around 10 o'clock, puts his hand to the doorknob. Uh-oh, <laughs> house is all locked up. What should he do? And he's like, okay, well, in the past, my sweet talking has always worked on her. This worked really well in dating and engagement, you know, on our honeymoon. So, of course, I was kind of sweet talker. You know, this, this will go well. Well, let's read how this is going to go. Uh, if, if you follow along, Song of Solomon, chapter 5, verse 2, the words will also be behind me. Um, let's read. She's talking. I slept, but my heart was awake. She's kind of light sleeper. She's kind of dozing. She knows her husband isn't home yet. A sound. My beloved is knocking. He's there. He's knocking. So now he talks. Open to me, my sister, my love, my dove, my perfect one. My head is wet with dew, my locks with the drops of the night. So it's raining outside. He gets home at like 10 o'clock at night and tries to wake up his wife. Anytime it's after 10 o'clock at night and a man calls his wife, my love, my dove, my perfect one, what's on his mind? Right? Honestly, anytime after 10 p.m., that's probably the only thing on a guy's mind. Maybe even all the time, anytime. Well, let's review kind of what did she say? We read this last week. Uh, Kind of what did she say to him last week? I'm just going to straight face, no explanation, not going to dive into this. But last week, she invited him. She's like, blow on my garden. Let my beloved come into his garden and taste its choice fruits. So tonight, he's coming in expecting the same kind of romance that he's gotten in the past from her. He's expecting his wife to respond in the same way she has in the past. And we all know that women respond exactly the same way every time, right? No. She says, I had put off my garments... I took off my lingerie already. How could I put it back on? I'd bathe my feet. How could I soil them? I don't want to get out of bed and get, get them dirty. In the Hebrew, this is kind of what this means is, I have a headache, go away. That's what she's telling him. So he comes home. He's wanting a little something, something. But she's not in the mood anymore. She's tired. She knows she has to get up early with the kids, make them breakfast and all that stuff. She was ready to go earlier, but now she's tired. She's like, you missed your chance, bucko. Sorry. Now, this happens all the time in my house. You know, I mean, it's like clockwork. Kristen comes in, and she wants, you know, something, and I'm tired. I'm working hard. Like, you know how hard it is to be a pastor? I'm like, honey, 
no, I'm more than just a body. I'm a mind and a soul. Can't we just cuddle tonight? And, uh, you know, um, hopefully I'm not in too much trouble. Uh, that's not how it happens very often. So he keeps trying to get her to open up her garden to him. And surprisingly, whatever he does in verse 4 to awaken her love, it actually works. He's putting the moves on his wife, trying to get her to wake up, and he's pulling out all his best tricks. Now, scholars, as I've studied this, disagreed whether she has locked the literal door. Those are the like, really smart scholars. Or this is poetry. <laughs> and so some people, which I agree with, think uh, she's actually locked her private door to her garden. It's not a literal door. Uh, I tend to think it's more poetic language here. Either way, uh, she's now ready to open her door and let him in. Verse 4, my beloved put his hand to the latch, and my heart was thrilled within me. All of a sudden, her blood's pumping, and she gives in. She's like, all right, it worked. Let's get ready from sweet lovemaking. She rolls over in bed thinking, he better get ready. All his dreams are going to come true. And then she wakes up to this kind of nightmare where she's overplayed her hand. Her teasing revenge has backfired. She played a little too hard to get. Verse 5. I arose to open to my beloved, and my hands dripped with the myrrh, my fingers with liquid myrrh on the handles of the bolt. I opened to my beloved, but my beloved had turned and gone. I sought him, but found him not. I called him, but he gave no answer. She rolls over. She's like, all right. She's ready to be intimate with her husband, but he's slipped out of bed, and he's doing who knows what. Maybe he's surfing the internet. Maybe he's watching SportsCenter, but it's too late. So she goes back to sleep, and I think what happens next is a pretty awful dream where she's searching for him out and the watchmen find her and they beat her and then she runs into her girlfriends or mock her and they're experiencing some conflict in their marriage. Isn't the Bible super relevant to today? Like, this happens in your marriage, mine too. Yeah, you know, like, this is so relevant to what we're going through. What I want to talk now is I want to show you three of the biggest causes of conflict. And as I talk about these three, I want you to identify... In your own life, what's the biggest problem? This isn't the time to be thinking about what's the biggest problem with your spouse, okay? This is for us to be thinking about ourselves. And I added a third one here, and I really hesitated at first to add this third cause of conflict, because I think it could be considered your easy way out. But whether you're single or married, I want us to all think these first two. I think we all struggle with these things that cause conflict in our relationships, whether it's friendships, family, in our marriages. The first thing, if you're taking notes, you can write this down, is unmet expectations. Unmet expectations. We see unmet expectations. And we see this to some degree or another in every single relationship, marriage, friendships, family relationships. We all struggle with unmet expectations. So what happens here? She's expecting him to come home earlier. He's not home. She's looking at her watch like, where is he? He hasn't even texted me yet. I don't care that cell phones haven't been invented yet. Like, he should have texted me. He's like, he is in so much trouble. You better believe my garden's going to be locked up when he comes home. So he comes home, and his expectation is he's remembering what she's like on the honeymoon. He's looking for his twin fawns. Remember, we talked about that last week? And he's wondering, is the petting zoo open tonight? This isn't the Bible, guys. This is the Bible. This isn't me, all right? And so they have unmet expectations. And in marriage, you can see this any number of ways. You know, maybe you're, you're a couple weeks into marriage, and you're thinking, man, my dad fixed everything. He took the trash out. He paid the bills. 
But my husband doesn't know how to fix jack squat. He doesn't want to take out the trash and expects me to do the bills. And he's thinking, man, mom cooked all the time. What do you mean you don't have a plan for dinner tonight? And why, you know, my mom used to always do my laundry and put it away for me. Why did you dump my clothes, my clean clothes in the middle of the laundry room or in the middle of the living room while I'm watching Sports Center? Like, I can't do two things at once. You want me to fold while I watch TV? Like, what? Maybe you've been married a few years and you're going, this isn't what I thought marriage was going to be like. What happened to the woman I, I took on our honeymoon? The one who called me her king, we talked about in the first week, and told me to kiss her. Where did she go? Maybe you've been married 10 or 15 years and you can barely get along. And you're just barely holding on thinking, you know, we just probably stay together for the kids. And then one day you wake up and you're just little more than roommates, sharing the bills, sharing chores, close by each other, but not close to each other. And you have these unmet expectations. The second cause for most conflict, I think, is self-centeredness. The self-centeredness. Our husband comes home and he's like, me, Tarzan, you, Jane, let's go swing on the vine together. And he wants some action, and she's like, I'm tired. I was ready earlier, Mr. Tarzan, but now that vine has left the building. Like, you, you know, I took a nice hot bath, put on some lingerie. I'm just too tired now. Both of them are only thinking about their own needs. Neither one is thinking about the other person. This can happen a number of different ways in our relationships. You know, she wants to talk, and it's really important to her. She wants to share her feelings and connect emotionally, and he's like, it's a long day at work. I just want to veg out in front of Netflix or Sports Center." And it devastates her, and he just wants to veg. Or perhaps one person wants physical intimacy, and the other person doesn't, and so there's tension that boils up in the marriage. Or it can be financial. She buys another purse, and he's thinking, I didn't understand it when you bought a second purse. Who needs two purses? And now you have seven of them. And she's like, well, why do you buy new fishing equipment or new golf equipment every year? Like, your old stuff worked just fine. Like, what do you mean you spent what on what? It's self-centeredness. Selfishness seeps into relationships, and suddenly we have a problem because we're self-centered. What I want you to do is actually think for a minute here. What is the biggest root cause of conflict in your own relationships? Not your spouse's, but your own life. Is it more unmet expectations? You're wait, wanting them to be something that they're not? And maybe you've become bitter? Maybe you haven't even articulated those expectations, those desires, and so you've just got some bitterness now creeping in. Or is it quite honestly that you're just self-centered? This is a great thing to think about right now, and if you're in a sermon-based small group, let's talk about that in your small group, to share. Yeah, it's unmet expectations. It's really just, I'm really self-centered. Well, there's a third thing I think that causes a lot of conflict in our marriages. And again, I, I hesitated to ta- even talk about this one because I think it can be the scapegoat. And so I don't want this to take away from unmet expectations and self-centeredness. But spiritual warfare is another reason for conflict in our marriages. Spiritual warfare. See, we tend to think that when we are fighting, our spouse is the enemy. Our spouse is never the enemy. The Bible tells us we don't battle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers of the dark world. Our spouse is not the enemy. We need to be on the same side, not fighting to win an argument, but fighting for resolution in our marriages. Because if we leave something small unchecked, if we leave the little foxes there, it can grow into something devastating over a period of time that is going to destroy our marriages. And we truly do have an enemy, the devil who prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. And if he cannot take your salvation, then he will take the joy of your salvation. If he can't destroy you, then he will destroy your marriage. 
He is looking for how he can wound you. He's going to go after your marriage, after your kids. But we have victory through Christ, amen? But sometimes, some of our conflict is because we have spiritual attacks. The enemy is trying to destroy our marriages. Now, I think most of the time it's because of our own self-centeredness, our own unmet expectations, but I do think it's important to address this and to, and to pray together, to come together. Instead of fighting to win, fight for resolution. What I want to do now is get real practical and give you three quick thoughts on how we can resolve conflict. Let's start by making these three promises. We're going to say we are going to fight for our marriages. We're going to do relationships different. And we're going to promise to do these three things. Number one, we're going to promise I will act and not just react. I will act and not just react. See, we have a choice in how we're going to respond to conflict. We can choose to say, I'm going to respond by the Spirit instead of, re instead of just reacting in the flesh. I can choose to respond in the Spirit instead of just reacting in my flesh. I'm going to let the Holy Spirit lead me in my response rather than just reacting how I feel. Amen? Amen. Here's how the Apostle Paul writes in Galatians 5. He says, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. See, we have a fight. We're self-centered. We want to fight to win. We want to tear down our spouse so that we can feel better about ourselves. We can say, no, I'm not going to react that way. I'm going to act in light of the Spirit. Now, the works of the flesh are evident. Spiritual immorality, impurity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, and things like these. Any of those happen in your relationships? I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God, but the fruit of the Spirit. This is what we want in our marriage, this kind of fruit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. I underline that one. Goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with his passions and desires. Because of what Jesus did on the cross, we don't have to just react in our flesh. We can act by the Spirit. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. And then he says this in Romans 12, 21. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. We can choose how to respond. We can choose to act by the Spirit instead of just reacting in our flesh. Why is it in our marriages that we often think that when we're being attacked, the way to defend ourselves is to criticize the other person? Think with me for a minute about this. What other relationship in our lives gets better with criticism? Like if your boss criticizes you all day long, you came home and be like, man, I feel so much closer to my boss. I just want to love and honor my boss. I want to do anything for her. I just love her so much. Like if your best friend criticizes you all day, they wouldn't be your best friend for very long. But in marriage, we tend to think that criticism is going to actually help things get better. It doesn't. It makes things worse. So what are we to do? What are we to do? The Bible tells us we're never supposed to try to change our spouse. Men, we are told to love our wives, to not be harsh with them, to be considerate with them, to treat them with respect. We're told to love them and cherish them. That's what we're supposed to do, guys. Ladies, you're told to respect and honor and love your husbands. And we are told to submit to one another out of love. We can't change our spouse. 
Have you tried? It doesn't work. So what are we supposed to do? We need to let God change us. Instead of trying to change our spouse, what we can do is we can pray for them. We let God do a work in us, and we pray for our spouse. We let the Holy Spirit work on us, and we pray for our spouse. And here's what's so powerful, is that your prayer may not change them, but your prayer will always change you. We're not going to react in the flesh. We're going to respond by the Holy Spirit. We're going to promise to act and not just react, all right? Number two, here's what we're going to promise. We're going to promise that I will focus on the good and not the bad. I'm going to focus on the good, not on the bad. Philippians 4, 8. Apostle Paul tells us this. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's any excellence, is there anything worthy of praise, think on these things. We want to focus on the good, not on the bad. I heard this great story about uh, Billy Graham and his wife, Ruth. Uh, he's a well-known pastor who preached the gospel to more people than has ever lived in the history of the world. Well, many years ago, while Billy Graham was still active in preaching, he would be gone as many as seven months out of the year. And a reporter talked to Ruth Graham and said, man, how do you deal with this? Like, do you get bitter and angry that he's gone so much of the year? And she could have easily said, yeah, it's really hard. We got all these kids and I'm raising them and he's gone and he's doing his thing. Man, this is really, really tough. But instead, what she said is, nope, it's not hard because five months out of the year with Billy is better than 12 months with any other man. I'm not that godly. <laughs> Just being honest. Like if my wife travels sometimes and she's gone seven months out of the year, I'd be like, this is not working for us. Maybe someday. But what, what did Ruth do? She's looking for the good, not the bad. She's looking for the blessings she has rather than the blessings she wished she had. She knew her husband had a calling on his life. So she looked for the good instead of focusing on the bad. And that's what God wants us to do in our marriages, is to focus on the good instead of focusing on the bad. It's like, the, and uh, we're going to see this, that the star of our musical, our leading lady, our wife, she's going to do this. If you read ahead in chapter 5, we don't have time to go through all of it. She starts to think about her husband, and then she describes all the features of what her husband, of what she likes about her, what she adores, what she admires. She goes back to her wedding affirmations. She reminds herself of all his good qualities. She speaks very highly of her husband to her girlfriends, and they come and say, hey, what's going on with you guys? We're actually going to unpack that next week, uh, next Sunday, as we learn how we talk to our friends about our relationships matters. So you don't want to miss next Sunday. It's really important that how we talk to our friends about our relationships, it really matters. Here's the problem. No matter who you are married to, they're not going to live up to 100% of your expectations. It's impossible. No human can meet all those needs. Only God can meet every need. So if you're one in 100% and your spouse only gives you 80, there's 20% missing. And what not smart, not wise people do is they focus on the 20%. And then they see someone in their life who has that 20% that their spouse is lacking. And then they choose to trade the 80% they have for the 20% they don't have. Not realizing this person doesn't have the other 80% that their spouse had. And then they get incredibly dissatisfied down the road because they had no idea how good they had it. Don't walk away from your spouse. Look for the good. There's good enough there for you to marry them 20 years ago, 15 years ago, three years ago. And if you look for the good, you're going to fall in love with them even more. Look for the good. Look for the good. Look for the good. And we're going to promise that, that I will focus on the good and not on the bad. Don't trade the 80% for the 20% only to find yourself hurting down the road. 
So we're going to promise, I will act by the Spirit, not react in the flesh. I'm going to promise, I'm going to focus on the good and not on the bad. And third, I'm going to promise that I will talk and not just walk. I will talk and not just walk. If our husband in the story, if he did one thing right, it was that he didn't force his way into his wife's garden. Let me just pause for a minute. If you are married, no means no. You don't have a right to force yourself on your spouse. If you're on social media at all, you saw all these hashtag me too posts. Man, that wrecked me. That broke my heart. Sexual assault and sexual abuse is real and sadly so widespread. God created sex to be a blessing enjoyed in the boundary of covenant marriage. And even there, sex should be fun, passionate, and both partners should want to do it. If you have experienced sexual assault, abuse, you are not alone. We have a number of people here at Mosaic who have gone through that. And we even have a small group that meets on Monday nights where many, many women have gone through experiences like that. And if you feel alone in that and you feel that no one even here could understand what you've gone through, don't believe that lie. There are a number of people who have gone through horrible pain. And we want to help you find community, others who've gone through that, so you can find hope and healing. You don't have to go through your pain alone. Many, many people have gone through what you've gone through. And even in our marriages, we need to respect and honor each other, okay? So her husband, he doesn't force his way into the garden. That's good. He's probably frustrated, has unmet expectations, but he doesn't force things. That's good. Now he does mess up and he does something wrong. And that was leaving when there's still an issue going on between him and his wife. Ephesians 4, 26 says this. Be angry and do not sin. I love the Bible acknowledges that we're going to get angry. Like, it's just what we do. It's, we can't help it. But we can choose how we're going to respond to those feelings. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. And give no opportunity to the devil. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. He says, give no opportunity to the devil. That word opportunity could also be translated as guest room. Don't let the devil move into your guest room. That is not good. Don't let him into your marriage. And one way we lock the devil out of the guest room, out of our house, is don't go to bed angry. What happens so often when you have conflict and it's bedtime, we've all done it, right? No one teaches you how to do it. You assume the position, right? Back to back. <laughs> and usually there's a huffer in the marriage, like someone who, <sighs> you know, not always, but usually, right? And it's back to back and there's very strict rules. Like you stay in your space, I stay in my space. If your foot kind of goes over the boundary and you try to get a little toe action, like no, you pull that toe back, you're like, you touch your own toes. Like no, there's no cuddling going on right now. Instead, what we need to say is, I know this is hard. I don't really feel like talking, but we don't want the devil to move into our guest room. You can even try that phrase. Uh, I was reading today a great book, recommended by uh, Dr. Gottman, about relationships. And oftentimes in conflict, what great marriages do is they have some kind of code word or some kind of code, uh, even like something they do to help break the tension. 
And so like one will stick their tongue out the other one, and they both start laughing, and they can start talking their conflict a little bit more. They have something or you know, whatever it might be. And so maybe that's your thing. When things are starting to get a little hot and conflict and the tension's rising, be like, we don't want the devil to move into our guest room, you know, and it'll kind of simmer things down a little bit. Whatever it might be, have some kind of thing that you can kind of help break that tension. And we're going to say, we're not going to let the devil move into our guest room. We're going to talk. We're not just going to walk. What's the second part from that section of Ephesians? Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. I'm not saying this is going to be easy. It is hard. But because we have been forgiven by God through what Jesus did on the cross, we need to extend that same grace and kindness and forgiveness to our spouses. Amen? Now, we don't have time to get into all the ways how you can talk and resolve those conflicts, um, but we're going to resolve to talk and not just walk. We're, we're going to choose to engage with one another, work towards resolution, not criticizing your spouse, not trying to win the fight, not just leaving and walking out. Now again, you may need to take a minute, you know, uh, let things cool down, and then talk. Don't let the sun go down in your anger. Don't go to bed angry. So what are we going to do to promise to work our way through conflict? We're going to promise I'm going to act by the Spirit instead of just reacting in my flesh. I'm going to focus on the good and not on the bad. I will talk and not just walk out. And here's what happens to our husband and wife in our story. He shows back up. They make up. They forgive each other. And here's what happens. They move from this kind of honeymoon phase where everything's golden and perfect to kind of this disillusionment phase that we all go through. And back to this kind of commitment phase. And in Song of Solomon, we don't get to hear the, I'm sorry, please forgive me. We only get to see and hear kind of the results of their reconciliation, the start of passionate kisses and the renewal of their vows. They make up, and then comes the fun part. She invites him into the garden, and things get really fun. We're going to jump ahead. Chapter 6, verse 2. She says, My beloved has gone down to his garden to the beds of spices, to graze in the gardens and to gather lilies. I am my beloved's, and my beloved is mine. He grazes among the lilies. He says, How beautiful and pleasant you are, O loved one with all your delights. Your statue is like a palm tree, and your breasts like its clusters. I say, I will climb the palm tree and lay hold of its fruit. O may your breasts be like clusters of the vine, and the scent of your breath like apples, and your mouth like the best wine. She says, It goes down smoothly for my beloved, the best wine, gliding over lips and teeth. I am my beloved's, and his desire is for me. Earlier we saw he was self-centered and she was self-centered, and they had these unmet expectations. But watch as their love is growing and maturing. Earlier in Song of Solomon, way back in chapter 2, week 2 of the series, she said, my beloved is mine, and I am his. So young love is possessive in nature. It's self-centered. It's, it's me-focused first. My beloved is mine. He's mine. I'm so glad I got him. Now what does she say as their love is maturing and growing? She says, I am my beloved's, and his desire is for me. She affirms that. There is movement from possessive, self-centered love to a maturing love that says, I am not my own. I am my beloved's. Growing love matures as we grow in our ability to be more selfless. We put our spouse first. We put others first. Their love has matured. They belong fully to each other. And here's my application point for married couples, that when you fight, make sure you make up and do it with passion, all right? 
When you fight, make sure you make up and do it with passion. Passion and desire are good and godly. We want to have something different than the world. We want marriages where we are serving and loving each other, where we belong to one another. We want to move from possessive, self-centered love to a maturing love that says, I am my beloved's. And to do that, we're going to have to do some things that the rest of the world doesn't do. We're going to have to make some promises that I'm not just going to react. I'm going to act by the Holy Spirit. I'm going to choose to focus on the good instead of focusing on all the bad things that my spouse doesn't have. And instead of just walking out the door, I'm going to choose to talk things through. Each of us has a choice in how we're going to respond. We can choose to take these truths and apply them to our lives. Each of us has conflict in our relationships. The Bible says that actually when we are born, we are born into conflict with our heavenly Father. We are at odds with him because we are self-centered, because we want to live for ourselves. But our heavenly Father, who wants a relationship with each one of us, he sent his son Jesus to die on the cross so that our conflict could be resolved. That we could be reconciled to God. And today, wherever you're at, if you have not experienced a reconciliation that comes through what Jesus did on the cross, God is offering you that chance. Maybe you've been following Christ for a long time, but there's been some conflict between you and God. Maybe you've gone through some stuff. And you've put up walls. And it's like you've rolled over and your back is to God. It's like, I don't want to talk. I want to encourage you to talk to him. That through Jesus, we can come boldly to God. He is not some angry God looking to strike us down. The Bible tells us that we see Christ, we've seen God, that through Jesus, God is revealed as Savior, as one who loves us, who cares for us. Whatever it is that you have done, however you've been wronged, God is not looking to judge you. He's looking to love you, to have you into his family. But he's a gentleman. He's not going to force himself. And so right now, you have a choice maybe for the first time, to say, I want to be reconciled to God. That through Jesus and his great love for us, we can boldly approach. Would you bow your head and close your eyes? I'm going to invite the band to come on up. Let's pray together. God, I pray that... uh, you would help us resolve conflicts. Whether that's in our marriages, whether that's in our work relationships with a boss, a family member, maybe a mother, a father, a sibling. God, that you would help us to resolve these conflicts that we don't uh, live uh, that way. And God, you seek to reconcile with us So God, I pray that we would seek you. God, that we would look to make things right 
God, that we would repent of those ways where we have messed up. God, that we would just turn towards your loving gaze as you welcome us into your family. God, for those of us who are struggling maybe because life has beaten us down because of the sin of others and what they've done to us, God, we become distant with you. God, I pray that even now we would let down our walls, that we would allow you into our life. God, I pray for those who are hurting and broken right now, God, that they would feel your arms wrap around them. They would feel a big hug from their father who loves them so, so, so much. God, you, you want to see us reconciled to you. So God, we pray that we could turn our face, our hearts towards you. God, we just pray that we would take these truths, apply them to our lives, that our marriages would be stronger, our friendships would be stronger. God, that we would be people that resolves conflict, that don't, doesn't just live with it, that would be tender-hearted, kind towards one another, forgiving as we have been forgiven by you. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Would you stand with me? We're going to close our service now uh, by receiving an offering. Uh, here at Mosaic, this is, this is how we support our, uh, the church. Uh, we don't have some kind of organization that pays our bills. Uh, Mosaic Church is supported by those here in the room. And we want to say thank you for that. Thank you for your generosity that allows us to do this. Thank you. Because of your generosity, I get to be a pastor. Pastor Nate gets to work for the church. Thank you for that. We just want to say thank you. Uh, so this is your opportunity to give back through your tithes, your offerings, by responding in generosity uh, right now. There's also a time, like Rihanna mentioned, drop off that connection card. We want to pray for you. Uh, our prayer team is not a very big team. It's a small team. It's uh, basically staff and our small group leaders, just so you know. Uh, people who are highly trusted. It's not just like any random people. Uh, and so we want to be praying over those things that, that you share with us. We take that very seriously. Uh, Pastor Nate will give you a call this week. Hey, how's it going? Can I pray for you over the phone? We're here to help you take your next step, whatever that might be. How can we help your marriage get better, get stronger? How can we help you have better relationships, better friendships? How can we help you resolve conflict? How can we help you, if you feel distant from God, to be reconciled in that relationship and you can grow spiritually so you can be in right relationship with your creator, God, who loves you so much? We're here to help you take that next step. So please let us know how we can help you take that next step. Uh, we're going to receive an offering and we're going to go out of here singing. Uh, uh, my prayer for you is that you just have a, a wonderful week that you would know that your God is for you, that he wants to be reconciled to you, and we can respond by the Holy Spirit and not just act in our flesh. We can choose to focus on the good, not on the bad. We can choose to talk it out instead of just walk, and that your relationships can be blessed. Maybe you go out of this place filled with the knowledge and presence of Christ. Have a great week.